This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we conclude our review of Season 2 of The Chosen with a discussion on the 8th episode. Here it is. I've been waiting for this episode this whole season of commentary. It did it to me again. I, you, you couldn't have... I mean, if you remember how crazy I was about Sabbath at Mary's house in Season 1 towards the beginning. I believe I called it like one of the best scenes i've ever seen in cinema like i just loved it and this has a close second this episode today just one of the finest scenes wrecks me every time it's only getting worse the more i watch the episode and yet has the moments that i just went for the first time in two seasons what in the sam heck is going on with that (laughs) (laughs) yes well we'll see if uh if we share our wrecking moment but i certainly was crying last night as i was preparing for this recording it didn't take away from the good moments of this episode i'll say that man it's so good okay well let's get into it So we start off, there's three men uh, negotiating the sale of some land. Uh, The current owner is asking about the lineage of the people buying it. And he's like, well, Reuben giving land to Simeon after 40 generations. Come on. And uh, they're like, well, we're going to carve some tombs into the rock for middle class burials. It's so expensive to get buried, you know, close to town, blah, blah, blah. They're offering 40 talents. The guy's name is Husham. I don't know if that if he'll end up coming back later, but his name is Husham. He agrees to sell. Uh, they eventually settle on 49 talents, uh, just in case there's something under the rocks. And you kind of get the sense that there's something going on behind all the conversation. But uh, Husham is thinking about the promises made to Abraham. And, you know, he's kind of kind of lost a little bit in his thoughts. And they're like, come on, man, let's just, let's just get the covenants signed and, and get ourselves out of here. And, then uh, as they as they finish up the main negotiator, I'm just going to call him the negotiator because we don't ever learn his name. Uh, but he smirks as he's about to get away with something. And then the other guy who we find out at the end of the episode is Judas. So I'm going to just refer to him as Judas for simplicity's sake. Judas is looking very uneasy at this point about what they're doing. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of uh, cool history in that little uh, opening scene as they start building some character. They start doing some character work. Um, but I liked how they really preserved the attachment to land, the awareness of our fathers, the angst that people in that uh, part of history would. I just, it was good. I, I like that opening scene. I, that, they do a really good job with their opening scenes, I feel like, consistently. Uh, they do a great job pre-credits. It's it's nice. <laughs> just pre-credits. <laughs> Uh, I really, I really like the, uh, 40 generations thing. Cause it's like, well, I don't know if the math would actually work out on 40 generations, but I don't really care. I feel like what he's saying is like, Hey, 40 generations, my family's been on this land. We have, we have had our ups and downs. We have come to know who God is on this land. Like this has so much more meaning to us than, you know, simply a sale price and making a little bit of money. No, I love it. Yeah. And my point about the pre-credits thing is it's that's that can't be an easy scene writing an opening scene that sometimes is detached historically like that's just got to be a a tough scene to write. How do you open and grab the attention and do it artistically in a way that's well designed? 
I'm no screenwriter. I imagine that has to be one of the one of the trickiest parts of an episode. So that's why I, I appreciate all those scenes so much. I'm like, I was clever. I was really clever. Yeah, Dallas uh made some comments in the um in his reaction video about this episode where because it opened in a place where we didn't recognize with people that we didn't know, but it didn't have a location and a date. Right. Uh that people were theorizing all sorts of things yeah. Um, yeah sure about what that would mean so yeah normally these opening scenes are set you know sometime in the past uh, but in this case it's just uh introducing us to brand new characters so yep then we have the credits Uh, so we come out of there. The disciples are chopping wood, just kind of getting ready for the day. Uh, Z comes back from exercising. Um, there's remarks about the women are already up and studying in the tent. John is uncomfortable that Z doesn't have his, I don't know what you'd call it, his outer cloak on. He's just wearing like a tank top kind of thing. And they're like, hey, not being very modest here. And he's like, I'm not worried about it. And uh, Andrew's continuing to obsess about uh mary's reasoning for leaving and he's like shouldn't it be enough that that she can listen to jesus why does she have to why does she have to learn all this stuff too i think that's probably uh about all of the women not just mary but um sure he's still struggling with the mary part and uh big james is a little upset and comments like ah they can't they can't learn from jesus they can't listen to him because he's never around and uh Philip and Thomas return with food for everyone. Simon's asking about Matthew. Uh, they're discussing security for the sermon. And then John is just like, look, guys, whatever we do, we really got to get this right. We cannot screw this up. Yeah, I think you can like the resentment uh, you can feel with Andrew and Mary um, and the angst in the disciples just as a whole. Yeah, there's evident there in that scene. I like that, too. I mean, we definitely see in the Gospels that they continue to argue amongst themselves basically through the end of it so i mean <laughs> pretty much nonstop through the passover meal yeah 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 absolutely yeah so this i i i hope we'll continue to see scenes like this you know going forward because there's just so many different perspectives um yeah always yep. always in attention so i think i think this is good yep next up we have uh rama and mary practicing reading and writing and i guess mary's not really practicing writing she turns out to be writing uh she's making flyers for the sermon uh, but Rama is practicing reading and writing and, uh, you know, Mary's going through it, assisting with her. And, uh, Mary's been memorizing the rest of Psalm 139. And that's what, I think that's what Rama's reading. Obviously super gifted, by the way, the way that, cause I get the impression that like Mary's had a little bit of head start. You can tell she's had some interaction with the text through her childhood, those kind of things. Obviously we know from the gospels and the setting, even within the chosen, like she's got some means, but. She, I, like I get the impression she's supposed to kind of be picking this up along with Rama and Matthew. She's learning along with the group. And obviously she has a great gift as the episodes portray it for memorizing, for comprehension. And what a cool little bit of her experience. Yeah, it seems like they were saying uh, that if anything, she would have maybe memorized Torah, but probably not any of the rest of it. So Right. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Whatever work she's doing in the Psalms here is is fresh work. So yeah. Yeah. She's she's definitely digging into it, and I love her line. Um, 
Rama is impressed that she knows it so well. And she's like, well, I need, I need more text in me. Some, something along those lines. I need more text in me because I, I need to be prepared next time I'm struggling. It sounds like you loved it. I was heartbroken when I heard that line because I was like, oh man, she, she's doing that out of this sense of that line comes from this sense of if I only had more, then I wouldn't struggle. Like if I only, mm. and I thought what a powerful lesson for some of our listeners and, and the gravity we give to the text and the importance that we talk about getting the text in us, that part's fantastic. And yet I thought, oh man, for any of our, and there's got to be just a ton of people that have a similar angst in them that I just don't have enough text in me. Because if I had enough text, like quant- quantifiably, if I, if I got enough quantity in me, then I would be enough. Then I wouldn't struggle. Then I would be fully equipped. And I just more, more, more. And I and and I love that Rama sees that and kind of calls that out in her, and like you've got to stop. I think her line is, "You've got to stop obsessing over this." And even for people that have like really hear what we're saying, love the text, thank you, Bema. Be real careful that we don't just attach that same spirit of productivity to that sense of I'm just going to get more text in me, more, 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 because then my value increases or. You know, that that value and that preparation isn't attached to a quantity of production. It's attached to a heart that's submitted and open. And I think David would say contrite, you know, we were talking about the Psalms here, but uh, I thought that was a great line too. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. And that's, eh, that's probably more along the lines of what's actually happening there. The way, the way I was reading it is that she was saying specifically in the context of Psalm 139, like... Hey, I need to have a stronger view of how God sees me and how God Ooh. values me. Oh, yeah. I like that. You, but I don't know. You, you, you were even, yeah, I like that touche. You were like, yeah, but what about the text she's actually <laughs> looking at? I like that. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can't say for sure, but uh, I think there's, there's probably some lessons to learn on both sides of that anyway. Amen and amen. Uh, so then we see Tamar with the group. She's speaking with uh, Mother Mary and Thomas brings apricots up uh to the tent and um he's kind of trying to catch tomorrow up on on who the rest of the disciples are and what they're all about and um tomorrow's like do they do they actually love each other because they're really getting into it over there and he's like ah yeah it's good (laughs) um but uh ultimately tomorrow takes the apricots to rama and mary and and thomas is like hey uh just just so you know uh Philip, he he found he found apples, but I wanted to get apricots because I knew they're Rama's favorite. <laughs> Obvious, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah, he's not he's not real subtle, so no, you know. he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> it's good though. Uh, so then we're back with the negotiator and Judas. They're debriefing their purchase. Uh, they're in some kind of a tavern or something. Uh, or cafe, or I don't know what it is. Uh, Judas is still really unsure about the whole thing, and he thinks the the potential wealth that they might get out of it is like what? What is? It seems like it's not really gonna really give any meaning to anything. Like so, what? Um, he he doesn't feel good about what they've done, and he wants to do something that really matters with his life. And the negotiator's like, "Hey, look, I'm gonna give you an, an advance." Pulls out a bag of coins. Sets it down. He's like, hey, take a few weeks off, take a vacation, go find some of that meaning that you're looking for, and then we'll get back to it. You know, some of the things that 
this was this part was so much better the second or third time around. You've already pointed out the identity because we learn later the first time you're watching this episode, you don't know who this ends up becoming until the very end of the episode. And so you're just like, you're trying to figure out like what in the world's going on. And I didn't even suspect Judas. I wasn't even thinking that. Um, but then, man, when you watch it the second or third time, knowing who it is, you're like, man, that's again. And I can't tell. I can't tell if I absolutely love. I'm going to need some more time with Judas next season um, to figure out how I feel about it. I can't tell if I absolutely love it or if I hate it. I, I, I'm one or the other, I think. I don't think I'm somewhere in the middle. I need to spend some more time with the Judas character. But um, really, all of a sudden, appreciated those conversations on a whole new level after I knew the identity the second and third time around. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. I think the first time I watched it, I was trying to figure out who it might be. And looking at the... So we have two... I think we have two lists of the uh, of the apostles in Matthew 10 and Luke 6. Yep. Uh, are there any I'm forgetting about? I want to say there's one in Mark 3. Is there one in Mark? Okay. Well, anyway. I and mean, if I'm right, oh, I'm be like, yes, okay. pump. Well, let me check Mark 3. <laughs> ah, you are right. Okay. <laughs> I see your textual reference earlier, and I raise you one. Yeah. So, uh yeah, there's. I was trying to figure it out. I can't remember. I might have actually looked these passages up while I was watching the episode initially to see, like, okay, who do we have left? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there's Bartholomew listed, and I think that's Nathaniel. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, but that sounds right to me. Because there is no... Sounds right. I think Judas is the last one, and there is no Bartholomew in the group. So I, I'm assuming that's got to be a different, an alternative name for Nathaniel or something. I don't know. Um. Then we have, uh, yeah, Judas Iscariot. So what, where's the other one? So in in Luke, uh, there's Judas, the son of James, and then Judas Iscariot. So it's like the, the lists are not even completely consistent across the Gospels. Um, but I, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't do the full accounting. And so I thought maybe it could have been Bartholomew or something else. Um, so I wasn't. And, and I thought, well, maybe there's a second Judas. Maybe they're going to, I mean, it makes sense that if they're, if they can avoid a name conflict, they're probably going to do that. Uh, they have enough name conflicts as it is, but yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure that it was going to be this particular Judas, uh, when even, even with the bag of coins, like that didn't really, I guess some people that, that tipped some people off. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't really wasn't really uh didn't figure it out by the end of the episode i was surprised when we found yep. out who it actually is yep yeah i guess you're right I, I didn't think about how many we had already encountered and how many were left i didn't i thought there was at least a few but i guess you're right i had i have not been counting bodies in these scenes <laughs> i don't i don't think i had counted up until this point and i was like this is clearly being introduced as somebody but i just wasn't sure who it was yet so you know Whatever. I really try not to like get too deep in the weeds in this kind of stuff when I'm when I'm watching stuff. I really just try to yep. let the story yep. like roll over me because, yeah. I mean, I uh, people do that. You know, they they want to stop the show. I mean, if you're watching something on Amazon Prime, if you pause it, it'll just tell you the actors' names and their characters right there at the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. It's like I get the I get the drive for that, and my wife is totally that way. Where you know, as soon as somebody comes on screen, she wants to know like, Oh, who is that? Well, how do I know them? And I'm like, can we just look this up afterwards? <laughs> but I think, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm probably rare. I don't know. Uh, so moving on, we have Nathaniel Thaddeus and little James and they are location scouting. Um, 
they have all these specific requests from Jesus about what the location should be like. And they're like, it seems like he already knows where he wants us to be. And we just have to figure it out, uh, which is kind of fun. If you think about it, like Jesus was wandering around at some point. He's like, ah, yeah, that's the spot right there. And I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to make them search for it. I'm going to make them do the work kind of like, you know, you would do with the text, but in a, in a physical geographical sense, so uh-huh. it's, it's uh-huh. kind of fun like that. I do that on my scouting trips for Israel and Turkey. I mean, I go out ahead. I try to figure out exactly where I'm going to be and how I want to come at a site and all that. I could totally see that. I appreciate that. I like that, Brent. Yeah. So then they happen upon a shepherd with a flock, and she is not interested in speaking with them at all. She is not interested. To right. call back to our session one material. Thank you very much. Right. Good work, chosen. Good work. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, they obviously have quite a bit of resistance about this location. And Thaddeus is like, well, I think that means this is the place we're supposed to be. I do love Thaddeus's just always humble, quiet rightness. I do. I do love that about Thaddeus. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, then we're back with Shmuel and Yanni, and they are sharing their findings with Shammai himself. And he's pretty excited about this. He says he can use it against Shimon whenever Jesus inevitably gets Rome's more direct attention. And Shammai is asking for any additional rumors that they have beyond the facts they've established. He tells them to spread the word uh, about all of this information, leaving out the fact that Shimon and Nicodemus are already aware. Um, Just setting that whole thing aside because they're going to write up all these documents that they're going to date them. And and then when things blow up, they're going to pull out that stuff and they're going to say Shimon and Nicodemus already knew about this and they set it aside and and he's going to take over the world basically. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a sensational scene. Um, Definitely kind of dramatic. uh, What they did with the Shammai character there. Um, And I, I don't know if I feel like I'd love to hear somebody that is much more aware of that era of rabbinic history and those two personalities to know if there's actually historical credence to was that a part of Shammai's personality? Do we even know? Yeah. Was he the scheming type or not? Yeah. I wasn't sure if I, if I loved that scene or hated it. Um, just a very sensationally politically minded upfront in your face nature of that. I appreciated the character work, but the one thing I did like, n- no matter how I feel about its historical plausibility. And, and again, I'm not saying it's not, I, there could even be stuff I'm not aware of that tends to you know point us in that direction, but it definitely made that scene relatable. Like I feel like there's so much of that in the evangelical church world today, like so much shrewd and not in a good shrewd way, like a bad shrewd conniving, plotting, manipulating within whether it's denominational systems or just the consumeristic world of evangelical celebrity or I don't know, just, I I was like, okay, well that, that feels like home. So, I mean that I did appreciate that part of that conversation. I, I, that I could relate to it on that level and be like, yeah, I get that. Okay. Yeah. And Shmuel continues to be very uncomfortable with how political the whole operation is, but even Yanni in this scene, like, (laughs) Shammai gets done with uh, with his thing, and he's and he's like, you know, the the house of Hillel will fall, and the house of Shammai will rise. And Yanni's like, we we just came here 
to do this one simple thing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh yeah, well, I'm going to address all that in my sermon. Don't worry. You'll, you'll get what you want, but yeah. I've got bigger plans with what you're bringing to me. Yep. So it's even getting out of control for, for what Yanni was thinking was happening. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I've just always pictured Shammai as somebody like deeply, deeply devoted, almost more like the Shmuel character. And that would be, that would not work for the chosen nearly as much. Um, so I appreciate the screenwriting of that, but um, that's how I've always just pictured him. But there might be some things there that I've never even, I don't know about or haven't even considered, but yeah. I, I didn't realize, I mean, I guess I knew at some point that Hillel was a little bit earlier in the timeline and Shammai came a little bit later, um, but I didn't necessarily have in mind that he was contemporary with Jesus like this. I have wanted to look into that about how much that, I mean, the timeline works, but yeah, I, I've had some of the same thoughts, but I'm good with it. I'm thrilled that they're a part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. So then we have Matthew and Jesus. They're on a hill above the camp and there's papers, there's tablets everywhere. They've been working on this. Uh, Matthew is uh, looking down at the other disciples and saying, you know, I really hope they can work together. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, it's going to be hard when you open things up to all people, you're going to get a whole bunch of different perspectives. So it's, you know, it's not a surprise that they are having to work through some things. I really like Jesus's tone of like understanding, like he, as he talks about that, he's like, I get that. I get that about people. And I do love that. in the Jesus God character here, like that part of his compassion, like I, I, yeah, that's, that's part of what it means to be human. And of course this is going to happen and you can expect that. And I don't, there was no like condemning spirit. I mean, I think Matthew even says like, obviously not the way we would want it. And Jesus is like, yeah, of course not. And yet I can understand it. And I thought, man, what a beautiful part of that. Um, you passed right over the flyers, man, which we'll have plenty of opportunity to come back to it. I just, I have an all caps in my notes, flyers, question mark exclamation point. No, I mentioned them. Frustrated faces. I mentioned that uh, Mary was writing those out. You didn't pause long enough for me to freak out about it. I'm like, are you serious? Like, where are we getting this kind of paper? What's going on here? This is like, oh, this is one of the elements that I am just completely freaked out and frustrated by. Like, flyers? I have appreciated that so much of what we've talked about has been historically plausible. Dallas talked about that when we talked with him. Historical plausibility the historical plausibility of that idea is in the tank. Like it, it, it it's, it's way low. <laughs> so, the flyers, man, I just can't get over the flyers. Yeah. And, and they <sighs> will get to them a little bit later when they're passing them out. But yeah, the, uh, the, the wastefulness of it and the expense of it for that matter, um, oh, they just wouldn't have had it. pretty it's substantial. Wild. They could, they didn't have paper to learn the, anyway, I can't, okay, I'll let it go. I'll let it go. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Matthew, I think says that they're up to 19 sections on the sermon. Uh, there's actually 20 in the Sermon on the Mount. So they're obviously close. Uh, Matthew is commenting. He's like, it kind of seems like it's more bad news than good news, Jesus. And he's like, well, look, I'm starting a revolution. He emphasizes that he does not mean a revolt. Um, they agree that there needs to be some sort of an introduction to the whole thing. And Matthew is uh, talking about what they have at the front currently, which is the, um, you're the salt of the earth. And he's asking about that metaphor. 
He's like, look, I don't really get metaphors. So can you help me understand what's going on here? And Jesus goes through the whole thing. And Matthew's like, well, why don't you just say it like that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Jesus is like, you got to allow me a little bit of poetry here. Some people like some flavor to their, to their uh, sermons. (laughs) Yeah. Which at that point in the conversation, he was talking about salt. And I loved like all of his explanations, I think are exegetically, hermeneutically, like sound and very Peshat level to use session three language. And I loved it. Like, I, w- I was like, yeah, that, that those are all things that Jesus wants any listener to get. And I was like, oh, I wish that they would get into like the salt. It, what is it remezzing? Is it Job six? Is it Genesis? Is it Leviticus? Like what, it, like to go into that, I didn't expect them to. But then when Matthew asks about kind of the depth and the craziness and and they get into that part of the conversation. I went, okay, that, that satisfied, that acknowledgement satisfied that itch for me. And I, I really liked that. That was, that was good. I, I love Jesus' comments earlier about, I didn't, I didn't come here. I can't, I can't tell what word I wrote here in my notes, Brent, but I didn't come here to be something and soothing. Um, Man, I can't read my own writing. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> but I did love that phrase from Jesus. You know, I didn't come here to be to be soothing. I didn't come here to just tell everybody. And I did love the revolution. I didn't say a revolt. As uh, I was like, yeah, so good. Um, yep, excellent. Yeah, and I do think the way Jesus gave those examples is almost a little bit of a precursor to what he's going to do later in the episode with the Beatitudes. A little bit different way of doing it, but I, I think it has the same sort of like uh, richness to it. Yeah, and his comment about uh, this is going to make sense to some. I have this one written down too. It's going to make sense to some, but not to others. Um, I don't want passive followers. Like how many times does that show up in some of our session three discussion? And I love the way that the chosen phrase that in the dialogue. Um, that's another way of saying what I tried to say a handful of times. And, and what a great way to say it. I'm not looking for passive followers. To even go back to session one and talk about the Jacob and the Esau. Like God wants that Jacob character that's willing to wrestle and get a little messy and it's a little dirty and it's a little whatever, but I'd rather have that chutzpah laden passion and conviction and fire than I would passivity. And um, it's it's such a great line when when you think about parables, when you think about pardes. Yeah, I think of the parable of the soils. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Just loved that. It's a great line. Uh, so Jesus, uh, you know, affirms Matthew's contributions to, uh, the conversation and says, you know, he's going to need a little bit of time to develop what we'll find out as the Beatitudes. Uh, then we're back with our location scouts and they are, they're in that same tavern that we saw Judas in earlier and they're, uh, discussing a deal with the owner of the land. They track down in spite of the, uh, shepherd girl who was not interested in talking to them. They were able to track down the owner of the land. And so they're, they're discussing a deal with him. It is not going well. The guy does not see any upside to this whatsoever. He's like, it's just going to make a whole mess of anything. I don't like the crowds. I don't like all this stuff. And uh, the negotiator and Judas are, you know, up against the bar at this point, and they they kind of lean over, hear the conversation, they get involved, and they convince the man that, hey, if this is if this teacher is really as popular as they say it is, this this location could end up being really meaningful to people. You could have a whole lot of sales of everything that you make. And uh, ultimately, they 
they make the deal because of the the comments they made. Uh, but those two guys duck out before the disciples have a chance to say anything to them. And, uh, and they're, they're having a conversation like, Hey, maybe we should go check this Jesus guy out. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. No more good character building. And I liked how they worked out the land thing. I thought that was a cool part of the episode, especially as it related to those characters. So yeah, I like that one. So here's where it is. The disciples are now passing out and hanging up the flyers. <laughs> Maybe hanging up is a little more realistic than passing out. Uh, no, they're passing yeah. out. There's, there's, um, well, they little... are, they're mostly they're passing out, but there are a few people who hang, who like yep. nail them to a post or something. Yep. Know. Cause they're going to take one down to take it to, I don't know if you like the hanging up a little better. Well, I mean, no, I don't, but I've said my piece. <laughs> I'm going to let it go. All right. Well, yeah. So, uh, Nathaniel and Thaddeus are going over some building plans at this point and they're constructing a, you know, what we find out to be the stage. Gaius and Atticus get a hold okay, of Okay. Just of the... did it again. Does that not bother you at a stage? Yeah. I mean, We'll get to that. We'll get to that at the end. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll give you more. The flyers in the stage. Oh, just killing me. Here. Yeah, I know. With the backdrop. It's like it's a church plant. It's like a, it's like it's a small <laughs> little church plant setup. Like I was expecting them to pull out folding chairs, Brent. I was expecting them to pull out a thousand folding chairs and set them up on the grass. Like yes. that was, I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? It was exactly like uh, like it was when, I, when my church used to meet in a gymnasium <laughs> back in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> and i would love to say it made it relatable but i just couldn't get the uh through the historical oh man if anything it was triggering <laughs> <laughs> yes seriously seriously oh. but yeah so gaius and atticus they get a hold of one of these flyers and they bring it to quintus and and uh you know then of course we see uh later on when the crowds are coming in it's also you know there's roman soldiers all over the place checking everything out keeping track of everybody um, but then we see Matthew, he's watching at a distance as Jesus continues to rehearse or work out his lines or whatever he's talking about. And, uh, then we see the disciples re- returning to camp and Simon is like, Hey, whatever happens, like we've done what we're supposed to do at this point. We got to get some rest and be ready for tomorrow. I love the comment of, uh, Simon Z, um, when they're like, does he ever, we don't even know if he's coming back. We haven't even, we don't even think he's been back and, Simon Z's like, well, I see him in the morning. Like he's up nice and early doing his zealot workouts. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. Doing all of his, you know, and he, he sees, he's like, I see Jesus every single day, Lee with Matthew. I just love that little aside <laughs> comment. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting that he's the only one who's awake at that time. I mean, I, he has certainly has a reason to do it, but it's interesting that nobody else has that routine. So it's like, yeah, okay. So this guy does bring something to our group that we didn't have before, even though he's kind of a weirdo. <laughs> yep. Yep. So then we see Jesus and he's waking up Matthew. It's late in the evening at this point. So Matthew has dozed off and Jesus is like, I've got the opening. And then this, this is, I think this is the scene you were talking about. This is definitely the scene for me where Jesus, uh, recites the Beatitudes and it's, uh, there's clips of each of the disciples as he says, each of the lines. And it's like, man, after two seasons of being with these characters, like we know their stories, and each one of those Beatitudes just fits so well with each of their storylines. And I don't know if they had this scene like in mind as they were developing the characters initially or w- when they came to the point where they had this. But man, everything is just totally paid off in the in those lines of the Beatitudes. Uh, you, you could 
this scene was so good they could have almost put folding chairs out and i would have been okay like it was so good it it was so brilliantly written not because i think in a historical sense because i as if i'm understanding the scene correctly i'm getting the impression that jesus is lament, like he's trying to figure out the intro of the sermon how am i and he love it keeps going out over the hill Matthew points it out earlier in the episode. Why do you keep looking down there? He's got this love. He's got this compassion. He cares about his followers. He's thinking about his followers. And it's from that that he draws the Beatitudes. As I'm hearing the scene, it's this day of reflecting on who his disciples are and what he sees as so beautiful in them. And that's where he draws. Not that I'm thinking historically that's literally where Jesus got the Beatitudes from, but from right. a screenwriting episode design that was so good. Like, I am an absolute mess watching that scene. The way it was delivered, the way it was designed, the closing line looking at Matthew. Oh, my gosh. I am like... And Math- Matthew doesn't even realize he's looking at him until partway through it. And then it hits Matthew and it's like, oh, <laughs> I am ugly weeping at that point. Like, oh, my goodness. That was such a great episode. Uh, such a great scene. Uh, so Ugh. good. So good. My goodness. Yeah, I'm tearing up now just <laughs> just talking about this scene. <laughs> uh, Yeah, man. What what a deal that. Yep. Yeah, so good. Such a great way to like I mean it's not it's not quite the closing of of season 2, but man, what a way to pay off two seasons of just incredible incredible filmmaking. It was. I mean, I remember watching this the very first time and I had loved season 2 so much. And by this time I've seen the flyers, I've seen the stage, and I'm almost in a rage watching this episode the first time. And this scene hits and I'm just like don't even care. Don't even care. Don't even care. You just... <laughs> this is so good. Yep. They rocked me. It was so good. So good. Uh, so then the next morning we see all the crowds approaching and uh, Jesus is continuing to rehearse and work things out behind the stage. Uh, the women are discussing what he's going to wear. Um, Simon and Andrew are fretting about the size of the crowd. And then Eden comes up and there's this great little moment between Simon and Eden and... Uh, then Jesus calls Eden over and he's like, Hey, I need a tiebreaker on, on what color I'm supposed to wear here. And, uh, then the, the negotiator and Judas arrive and, uh, the, the negotiator goes to speak with Philip. And then Judas ends up asking, uh, who some people we already know, uh, Barnaby and Shula. He's like, Hey, where should I go to hear Jesus? And they're like, well, you could, uh, you could do a lot worse than following us. We're definitely going to be close. And, uh, yeah, then Atticus and guys, the other soldiers are wandering around. Um, John and Z are trying to keep the the line of people from like crowding up against everything. Um, John's parents arrive, so it's kind of like this big reunion of everybody we know from the first couple seasons. That part was cool. That part was cool. Yeah, Jesus and Mary are discussing how they missed Joseph, and Mary's talking about how proud she is of Jesus. And uh, Simon comes up to Jesus to say it's time. Time to time to start the sermon. Barnaby and Shula come around the corner at this point. Uh, Nathaniel notices Judas and greets him. Uh, Nathaniel was there earlier when, you know, when they were negotiating with the landowner. He's like, "Oh, hey, you're the guy from the place." And uh, Simon introduces himself. This is where we find out that it's Judas. And then the disciples 
the disciples form a little bit of a tunnel behind the stage and uh, Jesus walks up in slow motion and sees the crowd and uh, smiles and okay, Marty, time to talk about the stage. Uh, I don't even want to talk about the stage. I I just want to talk about that other scene some more. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to my, to my favorite scene. We'll come back to the stage later. Okay. Um, just I'm, I'm going back to writing the Beatitudes on the hillside. I, I have more notes. I saw more notes. I found more notes in my notebook. Um, I loved the way he described that the Beatitudes as the map. What a what a cool map and directions. And then later at the end, why is that a map? Because if people want to find me, those are the groups you should look for. Oh, just like so good. And then in the middle of the Beatitudes, did you know? I don't. This had to have been intentional. And if it was, I'm just so impressed. Um, did you notice that they they matched up the sons of God? Which beatitude has the sons of God? Hunger and no peacemakers, and they show Philip, whose character has definitely been the peacemaker character, right? Yes. Yep. Also an Essene, which Essenes called themselves sons of God. Ooh. And I just went. Oh my goodness. Like I'm with you. Did they know this stuff beforehand and design that stuff because they knew this scene was coming? Cause that, that was brilliant. Like that, that was fantastic. Um, anyway, that's, that's all the notes I have on that scene. Uh, yeah, the stage, I hate it. Um, <laughs> I just hate the, I just hate the stage. There's no way there's no, there's just no way there's no historical plausibility to the flyers, the stage. It has such a mega church vibe uh his dress like even that felt like am i at like a uh i have no and when what this isn't a comment about hillsong but i'm like am i, am I at a hillsong like worship set like what's going on here like uh, it just had such a mega church thing going on <laughs> yeah but the beatitude scene is gonna buy me an awful lot of grace i'm ready for season three without any without any cynicism or pessimism I was the same way in season one. I wasn't in love with the Samaritan woman at the well story. And here it is season two. I apparently do not love the finales of their seasons, but that was one heck of a season. It was one heck of an episode with some of the best parts of the whole season in it. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just look past the stage for now. As long as season three doesn't open up with like a smoke machine and some lights. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. Well, from what I was talking about, I guess, uh, Dallas was saying in his reaction video, like people were like, well, how come we didn't hear Jesus doing the Sermon on the Mount? It's like, well, he was doing it throughout the whole episode as he was writing it with Matthew and, and you know, the other stuff. So like, I, I don't know that we're going to get any more of this. I think. Oh, I, goodness. I hope not. <laughs> I, I think season three is going to open with, you know, after the, yeah. after the sermon, but I don't know. We'll see. But that's kind of what it, what uh, it sounded like from what Dallas was saying in his, in his video. Yeah. I'm going to say that it was episode 93 when we talked about this, um, this setup where the opening of Matthew five says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And we had the conversation about whether them is referring directly back to the disciples, which is the most yep. immediate context of, of that statement, or if it's actually referring to the whole crowds. And it'll be a few episodes later at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where we close by noticing that the crowds react. So uh, it's very, historically, you would expect the rabbi to talk to his disciples. You would not expect a rabbi to do a big sermon 
like this, but Matthew's like definitely setting he's wanting to give you that vibe, which is then reinforced at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where it talks about the crowd's reaction. And so you're like, okay, so the crowds are listening. As Matthew tells it, the crowds are listening. So I'm good with the crowds part of it. Yeah. Because uh, I think that's definitely how Matthew uh, paints the paints the picture. So yeah. Uh, end of the Sermon on the Mount would be a good eye or fruit of fools? Fruit of fools. Okay, so I, well, I think. I think, yeah. Episode 99 then that. will be the closer. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Well, I'll put those. I'll put those links in the show notes if anyone wants to go back and review our uh, thoughts on that idea. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the end of the episode, the end of the season and, uh, very long credits, of course, cause they have all of the financial contributors who, uh, are not anonymous listed. So there's like, I don't know, nine minutes of credits or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, well, no, it wasn't actually that long. Um, it, it went by faster than I expected. Um, but there are bloopers after the credits. So if you miss, oh, I don't know if I stuck around oh, to man. see that. Yeah. You see, you gotta, and I should know better. People don't stick around for art. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you never know. I mean, the music, the music is so good. Like just, just soak in, soak in those beatitudes. Just let the music flow over you and, and just meditate on the beatitudes. I needed, I needed some therapeutic credits after the yeah. yeah. Stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, do we have any final, final thoughts? It was good work. It was good work uh, for all of, no, it was, uh, uh, you know, I know who will listen to this or whatever. Anybody associated with the chosen? That that season was so well done. Do not let my frustration with the stage and the flyers rain on your parade. Like it, that what that season impressed me far more than the first, and I was already all on board after season one. So, you know, I I, I don't I can't believe you can keep this up, but so well done. Like, yeah, <laughs> kudos, man. I'm. I, I, I'm looking forward to season three. And, I, you know, I, there's not a whole lot of things I look forward to. When is it coming out? It's like, I, I, you know, but I am for this one. I am. So there you go. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EABCB. And you can find more details about the show at BamaDeSubShub.com. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We will talk to you again soon for an unknown bonus episode. We don't know what, what the bonus episode will be next. Not next week, probably we'll find out, but we'll find out, but who knows in the future you'll get bonus episodes when you least expect it. <laughs>